Once again, I want to thank you all for your very warm welcome and reception of God's Word. It's a delight to be able to worship our God together. This evening, we'll be looking at an Old Testament passage in the book of Daniel. So if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses... 29 to 33. If I can find Daniel, that might be helpful. All right. Daniel 11, verse 29. At the appointed time, he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before. For ships of Katim will come against him, Therefore, he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up an abomination of desolation. By smooth words... He will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. We'll stop our reading there. I was uh, privileged to try to ascend a mount over in Donegal uh, called, I believe it's Aragal, is that correct? Something like that. And about a third of the way up, the wind was so strong that, uh, and my legs were getting so weak that I thought it was just about the right time to stop, lest I be blown off the mountain. I didn't have the legs to withstand the storm nor did I have the courage to believe that I could withstand the wind. And so I told my faithful guide, Pastor Lockridge, let's stop here. He said, you can go on if you want. I'm not going to make it any farther, for I was fearful that I might go off the mountain, and I didn't want to do that. Well, There's a sense in which we live in times where the winds are blowing very strong. Stronger in some senses than we've ever faced before, and yet in another sense, just like they've blown for many a day. Those are not winds of a a natural sense, in a natural sense, but they're winds of, of lies, winds of error, winds of immorality, Winds that are seeking to press the people of God to turn away from the truth and to give up. That is something of what the time here that is recognized by Daniel. As he describes for us very dangerous times. He describes a time of political turmoil. Political turmoil, a time when the the people will be falling by the sword. There will be flames, there will be captivity, there will be plunder, verse 33. There will be such persecution that they are in danger of being turned back. Even the covenant people are in danger. He says, 
there is a very great difficulty in such times. Political powers, political intrigue, kings, armies, deceptions, uh, and I won't go into all of the Antiochus the Fourth and Epiphanes and all of that. It's just a very, very troublesome political and uh, social time. But it's also a time of religious apostasy. A time when many will act wickedly toward the covenant. It says in verse 32, He will use smooth words and turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. Those who are covenant people for just the purpose of, of getting along with everybody. They're, they're not fully committed to the things of God. They just happen to be among the, the covenant people. But when these smooth words come along, pressuring them, enticing them, those who are really not followers of the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, will be turned aside. In verse 34, he goes on to describe them as hypocrites. They're described as those who forsake the covenant, verse 30. They're religious apostates. In the words of John Bunyan, I believe they are those who go with religion when it wears silver slippers. But other times, they don't want to be among the people of God. And so they're quickly led astray. But it's not only a time of political turmoil. The danger is not only a time of religious apostasy. It's also a time of great deception. In verse 32, it speaks in the midst, that in the midst of persecution, those who have apostatized will be wooed by someone who is speaking, speaking very smooth words, flattery to, ca- to carry them away. Taking those who have not been faithful to God's people and God's promises and further corrupt them, further pollute them, and lead them off into godlessness. The apostasy of others is always a very dangerous time, even for the true people of God. When there is apostasy all around, the danger is to be swept up in it and to be carried away. Jesus even told his disciples, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that when it comes you will stand. Calvin says of verse 31, Many would offer themselves in obedience to him, and thus Antiochus IV would find a part devoted to himself at Jerusalem, which would willingly prostitute itself to his will in order to gain favor. We are often in danger of being corrupted by flatteries, by lies, Dangerous influence all around. Jesus said, didn't he, when lawlessness abounds, the love of the many will grow cold. When we come to this part of Daniel's prophecy, we're set, the setting is that of dangerous times. But then notice with me in, our, in verse 32, the distinguishing trait the distinguishing trait that stands out there. He says, in the time when there are those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength. The people who know their God. Now we have to ask, well, what God? Because one of the things that Daniel's all about is, is 
the impotent gods of the world versus the true and living God. And that's one of the things there. So we have to ask, well, what God? Well, obviously the God he's speaking of here is the true God at this point. He's speaking to the true people of God. Those who follow Yahweh. The God of gods, as he's described in chapter 2, verses, verse 47, or chapter 11, verse 36. Because it is still, it says, then the king will do as he pleases and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And so in the midst of all of the gods of this age, there's a people who believe in the true God. The one who was described later, earlier as the Ancient of Days. But we'll come to some of that in a little bit because notice the, the distinguishing trait is that they know God. There's a people in the midst of all this who know God. Now, there's certainly all hypocrites, uh, in some sense, know God. Right? They, they know His name. They know about His house. They know about some of His rituals. Even pagans know about God. If, if you have your Bible, there's going to be a little bit of Bible study here. We're going to look at a few verses in the book of Daniel. But if you look at, at Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 in verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. In chapter 3 in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar comes near to the door of the furnace and and sees there's something going on. He responds to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. There's, he recognizes something of a, a uniqueness of the God of Daniel, Meshach, and Ab- Abednego. Again in chapter 3, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants he speaks of nobody worshiping anybody but their God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 5, we have another pagan king, Belshazzar. And his queen, his queen remembers that Daniel is one who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In, cha- in verses 11 and 14, she recognizes that there's this God. And so pagans can recognize God. In chapter 6, Daniel's co-workers, commissioners, satraps, the high officials of the land, they recognize something of Daniel's God. Because they say, well, if we're going to capture him, we're going to have to snare him with the law of his God. Darius also recognizes. So the pagans understand something of, of, of a true God. There's something of a, another God, a God of Israel. So obviously it means something about other than just a bare knowledge of God, an awareness that there is a God. To know this God must mean something more than that. Now this morning, we looked at God knowing us. And that's really the most glorious truth, isn't it? It's not so much glorious that I know God, as much as it is that He knows me. But it is important that we know God. And just like the, God, the knowledge that God has of us, we saw as the Good Shepherd has knowledge of His people, and it's an intimate knowledge, a personal knowledge, a relational knowledge, so should our knowledge be. And I think that's, and that is exactly what I believe He is, is setting forth here. They know their God. They have an intimate, personal relationship with God, which affects the way they live. 
Now again, isn't that what the first six chapters are really showcasing for us in the book of Daniel? You, you, most of you know the story, right, of Daniel? But if you were to take the time to go through and highlight what's really being showcased in those early chapters, it's really the reality of God as the most high God over against the impotent gods of the Babylonians. And he's doing that through the relationship that Hananiah, Mishael, Abednego, and Daniel have with this Most High God. In chapter 1, we're introduced to the fact in verse 2 that it is God, the God, the Lord, who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. It is God who is has done this. We, we read again in verse 9 of the same chapter, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commanders and the officials. And in verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And at the end of the days, these four young Hebrews who believe in this one true God They stand out among all the others. This God knows how to uh, work in His people's lives to actually elevate them against the the falsehoods that are embraced by others. Chapter 2, we have potential destruction of, of Daniel, Meshach, Hananiah, and Abednego, along with all the pagan soothsayers. And these four stand to say, wait a minute, We're going to do what we can to preserve life. They know that there's something more in their God than there is in others. Notice what it says in verse 17. When Daniel asks for some, uh, some time, he says, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter. I keep saying Abednego, it's actually Azariah. Sorry, getting the names mixed up here. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. They've got a God in heaven. He's a compassionate God. He doesn't want these people to be destroyed. He doesn't want us to be destroyed. Let's go to him and let's ask him a question. And so Daniel does that in verse 19. Then the mystery was, and verse 18, but verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a mighty vision. When Daniel blessed the God of heaven, so Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. And to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power and now you have made known to me what we requested of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. And then he goes to the king and he says, it's not about me, king. It's not that I'm great and wise. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He is the one who reveals what is made and what is made known. And he goes on to interpret the dream for him. You see, they had this intimate knowledge of God and they had such an intimate knowledge that they could talk with this God. They could bring their requests to this God. God hears and answers their requests, and God speaks to them. And they speak on behalf of the sovereign king, 
the sovereign God, to the king. In chapter 3, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are willing to, to be put into the fiery furnace. They're willing to die because the God that they know they don't want to offend. You see, this knowledge that they have of God is not some bare Sunday school knowledge that they went through a little bit of training and stored it away somewhere and then went off living their lives as though God didn't exist. The knowledge that they had gained from their upbringing, that even now when now they're taken away from that setting, still affecting the way they live among the Babylonians, affecting how they approach the various difficulties and problems that they have. They believe God to be powerful. They believe God to be caring. They believe God to be sovereign. So sovereign that they say, even if, he, if we do die, we will not serve your gods. This is how much they knew this God. They were willing to stand up for his reputation in the face of incredible pressure. In chapter 4, the the Most High God reveals, again, mysteries to to Daniel. And Daniel describes him as the God who has sovereign decrees that he makes. In Daniel chapter 5, he speaks on God's behalf to King Belshazzar. If ever there was a difficult time, here's a king. He's shaking in his boots. He doesn't know what this means, this writing on the wall. Daniel comes in, he says, here, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want to reveal this to me. And he says, keep your gifts. And that's potentially offensive to a king to say, no, I don't want your gifts. He's not willing to, he's not worried about that. And then he tells him exactly what it says. God has sifted you and found you wanting. You're going to be judged. Daniel's more committed to the king than he is and to giving his message than he is to placating or satisfying this king and making him feel comfortable. He could have said anything. King wouldn't have known. And in chapter 6, of course, we know that's the chapter where Daniel is praying. There's some interesting comments that are made in describing Daniel in the midst of this. It says in verse 5 that Daniel was one who was committed to the law of his God. And that he went about constantly praying it says in verses 10 and 11 he was constant verse 16 excuse me he was constantly committed to the law of god the king gave orders and daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den the king spoke and said to daniel your god whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you others knew he was committed to god and that he did that constantly And then when he's delivered, he acknowledges that God is the one who has delivered him. And it's described as, verse 23, as he trusted God. So, this knowledge of God that they had was not a bare factual knowledge. It was facts about God, certainly. But that affected the way they stood the way they talked, the way they lived. There's really two case studies, and I won't go into them in depth. I just encourage you at some point, go to Daniel chapter 9. There's a a saying, I believe it's an old English saying, to dress to the nines. You know what that saying? Anybody, Anybody know that saying? 
to dress to the nines, I mean, to really, to really put on your best, right? You're really going to be sharp for this particular occasion. Well, if you want to dress for the nine, to the nines in prayer, go to Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, or Daniel 9. Learn how to pray. Now, these three men, and especially Daniel 9 here, is a case study on how to pray to a true God. Daniel has intimate communications with God. And just going through that chapter, you see how many different ways he addresses God. Adonai, El, Elna, uh, Elohim. It's, it's the only place in the whole book of Daniel where the memorial name of God, which I often translate Yahweh, Jehovah. And over and over again in chapter 9, verse 2, verse 4, verse 8, verse 10, verse 13, verse 14, verse 20, he speaks to God with his memorial name. He knows God by name. And he addresses God by name. He knows that the God is the God who delivered them from Egypt, is the God of power yet today. He sees Him as a great and awesome God, a God who is full of loving kindness. It's very, very interesting that you go a long way through chapter 9 in Daniel before you get to any requests. He just keeps describing their sins and the God that he's approaching, and the God with whom they have to do. And yet he knows him also to be a God who is full of compassion and forgiveness that he can approach. The second case study in the book of Daniel that we could look at would be Daniel chapter 4, and that's where Nebuchadnezzar, the great and glorious one, comes to know God personally. He had a bare knowledge of God, and he kind of said, oh, that's your God, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. Or He said, that's, that's your God. But in, in chapter 4, when he finally comes to the end, he, he actually believes in this God. He's come to know God. This is really, really helpful, young people, or those who do not know God. Because you see, how did he come to that knowledge of God? One, he heard from Daniel about this God. Two, he saw these Hebrews live out that faith before them. He saw others who truly believed in God around him living out that faith. But then third, he was humbled, greatly humbled by this God to bring him to see that he was not the great person he thought he was when he thought this was his kingdom. But no, it was God who had raised him up to this point. And so he comes to see that no one can stay God's hand. He will do among the sons of men what he purposes to do. Here's a, these case studies. One, a man of prayer. The other, a man who is humbled, who comes to faith and knows God. His, it says in verse 34, his reason returned to him. And then he acknowledged and exalted this God. Well, there's the dangerous times and this distinguishing trait of truly knowing God. But what were the developed traits? What grew out of that knowing God? Notice what it says. And again, remember, in the midst of dangerous times, those, there are people who know their God. And how will they manifest that knowledge of God? What will that knowledge of God produce in their life? They will display strength, take action... And having insight, they will give understanding to many. They will display strength. They will be strong. 
as the ESV stands it, they will stand firm. You see, this is why I come to this passage. I have, a, I have a growing burden for the church of God and for the people of God around that I have interaction with at Trinity Baptist Church and the various churches where I have opportunity to preach. I have a very great burden that we persevere because Jesus' words haunt me. When lawlessness abounds, the love of the many, the love of the many will grow cold. Those are haunting words to me. He who endures to the end shall be saved is the next phrase. And I want the people of God that I know and those that I love, and as I've gotten to know many of you and as I've seen you persevering, I want you to persevere to the end. I don't want you to be blown away by the strong winds of lies. I don't want you to be enticed away by sweet and flattering words or or lies from scientists or lies from politicians or lies from religious figures. I want to see here sometime in the future, this one or that one has turned back. But that we all might persevere to the end and in order to do that we need to know God so that we might stand strong that we might do and that we might teach this word which says that's translated be strong has a prominent place in this part of Daniel's book it it only occurs here in chap it only occurs in chapters 9 through 11 and in this section it appears 14 times When the wind is blowing, you need to stand strong. You need to be able to stand against the wiles of the evil one. We need to be able to stand against the pressures that come against us. We need to take that posture of the sumo wrestler. Right, you know the, the, the good if you're if you're a baseball fan at all, the, the good baseball players, they've got they've got their stance and they spread their legs a little bit and they get haunched down just a little bit because that's a, a place of stability. If you ever watch sumo wrestles, what do they do? They get they get all their weight down back there. They're gonna be they're not gonna be pushed. That's the goal. Don't push me out of the ring, you're going out of the ring. Well, that's the kind of posture that we need to be able to take. That's what this word means. Those who know their God are in a place to stand that way against the pressures that come against them. And it's knowing God that enables you to do that. It's knowing God that enabled them to stand against the pressures of the education system that they came through and be able to learn and know more about the the worldly education system in Babylon to where they could show themselves to be the best of students and yet not be sucked in by the lies of it or be converted when they tried to change their names so that they tried to change their identity. But they weren't pushed away. Why? Because they knew their God. And it made them strong to be able to stand against all those pressures. The pressures of actual physical persecution whether the burning furnace or the lion's den, didn't change their perspectives. But then it goes on to say that they will take action. I think it's, I'm, I'm not sure, I think maybe it's the King James, the old authorized version that says, do exploits. Now we thought, okay, you know, and, we're, and believe me, I'm, 
I don't want to promote something here that, that's inappropriate, but um, we are inundated with superheroes. You know, and, 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 and you see those guys, oh man, that's strength. And so, man, I want to be, I want to be superhero. Well, this verse isn't actually saying those who know their God will be superheroes. Those who know their God will literally do. This is a Hebrew word for do. They'll just do what they're supposed to do. Daniel will, will keep being constant in prayer three times a day. These others will continue to do what they're supposed to do as, as Hebrews in, in serving the Lord their God and doing their work as unto their Lord so that they stand out among all the others. Remember what is said of Daniel. Daniel is the best of government workers. I have... N- well... I don't know that many government workers and I don't want to malign anybody. But, you know, a lot of government workers have the reputation for not getting a whole lot done. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. But he left nothing undone. That is an amazing, that's amazing for anybody in any position, government worker or not. Is that what they were doing? They were doing. They were doing their work as unto the Lord. They were serving Him. They were committing the duties. They were performing the duties that they were supposed to do. After I preached this at Trinity, one of my friends came to me and said, well, thanks for ruining my favorite verse. I said, why is that? Well, oh, you know, he liked that do exploits. Oh, man, I'm going to really be pumped up. But I, but I fear if we go to that, when we go that way, we lose the impact of the verse. It's just being able to persevere and put one foot in front of the other and continue in the path of holiness and continue to serve the Lord, continue to do what He called them to do. That's what it enabled them to do. Those who know their Lord were strong and did exploits. And the last thing it says is that they will teach others also. Those who have insight, the insight about God among the people, those who know their God and have understanding will pass that on to many. There'll be a testimony. How many times do we feel like, wow, I just I'm just I wish I had the right words to say? Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Let your works so shine before men, let your good works be seen by men. Why? That, or so live among men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Did you see how many kings were affected by the testimony of these four young Hebrews? And as they grew up within the Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, they came to understand and had, they had an impact on them by the way that they lived among them. They had an influence. And that's what he says. They will help others. So my question here, very simple application tonight. Do you know God? Do you know him? Do you know Him? We live in similar times. We have national and international turmoil all around us. It just seems to be getting more and more and more. There's great pressure. There's increasing contempt for Christianity and for those who hold to truth. There is apostasy all around us. Churches that are 
calling themselves churches of Jesus Christ that do and believe bizarre things, even wicked things, promoting uh, cultural mores, if you can call them that, cultural perspectives that are completely antithetical to the Word of God. A boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. And churches embracing this, we have, to, we have to recognize their identity as they feel. No. This is, this is, this is the, the pressure we're under. There's great talkers with smooth words. Man, we're inundated with this. We've got the internet that's blasting these things at us constantly. And they sound so persuasive at times. They have science. They have compassion. And I'm I'm fearful that many apostatize. So do you know God? Do you have a full-orbed knowledge of God? Understanding what the Scriptures have to say about Him. This is a pretty pretty big book. I mean, 1,200 pages, 1,600 pages, you know, depending on the type. For some, a little bit bigger than others. Right? But you think, oh, wow, that's such a big book. Wow. With all the variety of dangers that we face, aren't you glad we've got a book that's got a lot of information to help us stand, the, stand true and to truly know this God? He's revealing Himself to us. The subject is vast, so He gave us a big book that we might see how He interacts with different people in different circumstances, how they relate to Him in those circumstances, what they know about Him that helps them from creation to consummation. Do you know this God? Full-orbed knowledge. More than Daniel. Do you know this God as he has revealed himself even most clearly through Jesus Christ? I love those words at the beginning of Hebrews where it tells us that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Do you know this God as he has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ? He came into this world to exegete, to explain to us, to display to us the Father we might know Him. Or would Jesus come to you like He would to Philip and say, have I been with you so long and you've not known me? Have you been in God's house and in God's words so long and yet you haven't really come to know Him in the fullness of it? Do you have an intimate knowledge of God? His character, His attributes? Is it a knowledge which delights your soul? Okay, I'm going to come back to one of my favorite topics. Grandchildren. <laughs> Grandchildren are amazing. We were saying some of this in the, in the lobby earlier this morning. They're amazing. Everything excites them. A gum wrapper that was dropped. Ooh, 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 this is great. Help mommy throw it away. Oh, okay. 
the world. They're just experiencing the world in ways they've never seen before. Or some of the things which are so common. And they get excited about it every single time. What about us? Oh, I've read that about God, yes. <clears throat> studied the Westminster Confession. I know chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 by heart. Does it change anything? Is your greatest comfort and delight wrapped up in the doctrine of the Trinity? The Trinity? Yeah. John 14 to 16. Jesus comforts his disciples with doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, that's important. And it's meant to warm our hearts and to thrill our souls. I ask you this. How do you pray? When you address God, Recently heard a man pray. Every time he, every time he stopped, I, I thought he was, he was talking to one of his children in the sense of just the intimacy with which he approached God. Oh, oh Father. <laughs> this man loves God. He delights in God. Do you? Is that the intimate knowledge that you have? Where you can address him in so many different ways as he's revealed himself in the scriptures and all of them inform the way you approach God. Yes, I know Jesus tells us to pray our Father who is in heaven and certainly we should do that. But there's so many names that God has revealed himself by which we can address him and come to him. And does this knowledge, do you have a life-sustaining knowledge? A knowledge that will let you be, that'll make you strong against the pressure to conform and the pressure to turn back. Do you have a knowledge that will enable you to keep obeying God's law constantly? To keep using the means of grace to know Him more and to stand more firm. Keeping you on the end of your seat when you come on the Lord's day. Because He said through His Son, I will be with you. And he said through James, when you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And she goes, oh, is he going to be here today? We need uh, something which is going to sustain us that we can live our life and by life and by lip explain him and set him forth before the world. I think I got this from one of the Puritans. I know I did, but I'm not sure which one. I think it might have been Watson. Dead fish are carried downstream only live fish swim upstream. Do you have a knowledge of God which is so vibrant that it enables you to swim against the, the tide? Or are you just being carried along with the streams of error all around us? Do you have an ever-expanding knowledge of God? Are you one of those older folks? I thought to myself, you know, I could see myself saying, yeah, preach it to the kids. Preach it to those students at uni. Preach it to those high school. Yeah, preach it. Preach it. They need to hear it. And maybe you're thinking that. You wouldn't say it. You're Presbyterians. You're thinking that. Say, well, but no, 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 no. It's for us. Is our knowledge of God still growing? Or have we become stale and stagnant and plateaued? We need to be ever growing in our knowledge. If you don't know this God, it's not because He hasn't revealed Himself. 
it's because you're blind. And you need to cry to Him for mercy to remove the covers from your eyes that you might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as presented to you in the Gospel and repent of your sins and go to Him and say, show me your glory that I might know you and know my sins forgiven that I might walk with you all the days of my life. In closing, the words of Hosea, so let us know, let us press on to know Yahweh. His going forth is as certain as the dawn and he will come to us like the rain. Let the spring rain watering like the spring rain watering the earth. Well, let's remain standing as we pray. Our God, we thank you. Our Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for sending your Son into this world that we might know you. We thank you for granting unto us eyes to see and ears to hear. We thank you for giving us your word and we thank you for revealing yourself through the world. And Lord, we plead with you that you would help us to continue to grow in our knowledge of you that we might be strong and continue doing that which you have called us to do and that having this insight we might be able to instruct others in the way that is pleasing to you. Open blinded eyes this night that they might see you for the first time in Jesus your Son and turn to you and be saved. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Amen.